around here. Captain! Signatures detected. Shields up. Signatures detected. Context Southfleet Command. What's happening? Context Southfleet Command. Delay that order. Context Southfleet Command. This is the captain. Context Southfleet Command. Get out of my chair. Chair, 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 chair. We have engaged the Klingons. 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 Welcome to The Greatest Discovery. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison, saying welcome to all of the new people that, I don't know, probably didn't come check out the show because of this. Of course they are. That's the reason they're here. They're, they're looking for serious-minded <laughs> academics talking about all the new Star Trek programming on CBS All Access, and they somehow have found us. And we are here to disappoint you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm guessing that this episode of our show gets more listeners than the previous episode of The Greatest Discovery, just because there are probably a lot of people who didn't check out Star Trek Discovery that have heard the siren song of Captain Picard and are back for that, right? I think it's clear that Picard is is the big show on CBS All Access right now. I think they're I mean, look at what they've done marketing-wise. They turned it into Picardilly Station. <laughs> the The Times Square launch was massive. I mean, that, that big Hollywood party we went to uh, when they premiered it at the Arclight. Like, they convinced President Trump to make the Space Force logo look like the Starfleet logo. All of these things tie right. into the launch. It took a lot of money to do that, you can tell. <laughs> I definitely have noticed a lot more just buzz about the launch of this show than I did Star Trek Discovery. Like, I think that Discovery was very exciting for people who, like, identify as Star Trek fans, like, first and foremost, but there's, like, a kind of person that maybe identifies as a Picard fan, even, that is excited about Star Trek Picard. Before we started The Greatest Generation... Uh, I mean, I identified as a Star Trek The Next Generation person. Right. Even more than maybe even a Star Trek person in general. So I I definitely understand why a show like this is going to invite people like me uh, back into the fold. Yeah. And so, I don't know, I'm... We, we probably made a mistake not changing the name of this podcast because it probably sounds to most people like it's only about Discovery, but uh, but we're going to be reviewing episodes of Picard as they come out every week uh, for the next 10 weeks or so. Right. And then after that, I, we're probably, I mean, after that, Discovery is coming out, right? So then we'll do that. And then Lower Decks, all of the new Star Trek shows on CBS All Access will be covered in this feed. We've got our work cut out for us. Um, if if you were to tell somebody who had never heard a Ben and Adam podcast, like what our shit is about, uh, like like if this is episode one of uh, of them listening to us, what would you tell somebody like that? I can't even I can't even imagine what I would tell somebody like that. I know exactly what I would tell them. I would tell them this: put in your earphones. <laughs> you do not want this show playing in public or if, if you're in a room with someone else that you care about if you're doing the like casual carpool thing where you pick people up on your way to work yeah you're gonna want to save this for later like when you're on the elliptical or something yeah uh yeah this is this is for airpods only yeah if you're if you're a rideshare driver you will get fewer stars than you deserve if you're playing this 
Agreed. Yeah, so I think that's step one. I mean, it's it's mainly a dick and fart joke podcast, but there's also some Star Trek stuff. I mean, the main thing about us is that you and I love Star Trek. We always have, but we love it enough to also uh, make fun of it when we can. And uh, and we have a ton of fun talking about all the Star Trek programming that we do on our various shows. So uh, if you're here and you're new, expect uh, some irreverence, expect some dick and fart jokes, expect Ben and I to make fun of each other. You're going to think we're fighting a lot, <laughs> uh, but we've been in a long-term friendship and that's, yeah. that's what happens. We must talk about this brand new show. I'm really excited to talk about the new Star Trek Picard series, and there's only one place to start, Ben. It's episode one of Star Trek Picard. It's called Remembrance. This starts with uh, the song that Star Trek Nemesis starts with. You rewatched that movie before this series began. Were you? Uh, do you have any regrets about that? I had seen the first three episodes of this show before I rewatched Nemesis because we got to go to the premiere and we saw a version of the first three episodes that were basically edited together into a motion picture. Like we saw it in a movie theater with probably a thousand other people. And it, I could tell when one episode started and the next began uh, between episodes two and three, but I did not, pick up when episode one ended and when episode two started. Yeah, it wasn't just removing credits and, and butt-cutting the two yeah. episodes together. There, There is a case to be made that this is that uh, this is the first part of chapter one and that episodes one through three are the first chapter of a what's essentially a novella uh, for television. And, um, you know, I think that that stands to reason given the pedigree of the showrunner Michael Shabon. Right. So um so yeah this uh like I think that uh there's a lot of uh stuff in Nemesis that is taken as serious canon in this show and um <laughs> Nemesis is definitely not my favorite Star Trek movie of all time but um but I don't think that this is a direct sequel to Nemesis or anything like that. I would agree. And uh, I mean, we are we are bound by rules not to talk about episodes two and three. But I, I can say as someone who has not recently watched Nemesis and will not watch Nemesis, <laughs> uh, I don't think that you lose anything by by not seeing that movie before yeah. these first three episodes. One thing that I did notice, though, is that uh, is that this opening number, "Blue Skies," is uh, the song that Data sings at the uh, Riker Troy wedding at the beginning of Nemesis, and that's uh, our entree into the show. We get some uh, some nebula beauty shots, and then the Enterprise D, uh, and uh, we zoom through the windows of Picard's quarters. A, a shot that was impossible. In the TNG era, and uh, right. and we've got old Picard and like Benjamin Button Data <laughs> playing a game of poker. A a cynic would call this fan service just to begin this way, but uh, I'm not so cynical to call it that. I thought it was a beautiful way to begin, and it really like 
reached into my heart and grabbed it to see the D again like that. Like it's yeah. a place that I've really missed for a long time. And to be back in 10 forward with a couple of our favorite characters, I thought was really powerful. Oh, is it 10 forward? Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm an idiot. <laughs> There's some dialogue here that is also, I think, uh, qualifies as meta dialogue. You've you've got Picard saying things like, I don't want the game to end. I mean, you could consider a line like that being just as much from Patrick Stewart as by the character he's playing. I mean, he's back playing someone that he hasn't embodied in, in many, many years. It feels a little bit like he's talking to the audience more than he's talking to Data. Right. But yeah, they're having a jolly old time. Picard is calling Data on his on his poker tail, which I feel like, you know, like very fun, dramatic thing to do in a television show or a film. But if you notice somebody's tail in poker, you don't tell them about it, right? You sure don't. And uh, and Data <laughs> says as much in this moment. It's like, what are you doing? If you haven't seen this episode, stop this episode and watch it because what I'm about to say uh, reveals something toward the end of the episode. Data's hand is five queen of hearts as the winning hand that he uh, that he lays down mm-hmm. against Picard. And I believe that's, that's this one is, of the best hands you can get in poker, uh, if yeah, I'm not mistaken. It's really hard to beat. Uh, <laughs> I think this is telling us something, and I think that this is telling us that uh, that he has created five daughters. Wow. Five, you say? Yeah, which would contradict something we learn later about uh, about these these uh, synthetics made as twins. But I don't know. That's, that's my prediction. You, of course, uh, have some predictions that, that pay off a little later in the episode, but I think it's going to be fun as we go on to predict some things this it turns out has been a dream and uh, Picard is uh, is roused from his bed by uh, number one his his pit bull he's he's at Chateau Picard and uh, he like flings open the drapes and we get a beautiful vista over the the rows of uh, grapevines Picard is not a dog in bed person. What do you think of that? I, I respect it, especially when uh, when you've got a a thick daddy like number one <laughs> in your life. God, you know when uh, when number one is having nightmares in bed with you, that whole bed is rocking. <laughs> Seriously, yeah. Number one is uh, dreaming about chasing a duck at the park. That's gonna knock you out of bed. Number one, thick. <laughs> Of course, that's been said uh, for many, many episodes in the TNG universe. Yeah, yeah. Number one is one of those pit bulls that looks like he's been like juicing or taking, I guess it wouldn't be human growth hormone. It would be canine growth hormone. He's got Barry Bond's head, doesn't he? He really does. It's it's very upsetting. Yeah. Speaking of upsetting heads, Adam, we cut to the greater Boston area, and uh, there's a, a cute couple canoodling in an apartment, having a couple of glasses of wine. It's a human girl and a Zahian boy. I feel really bad for this Zahian boy because he has thousands of engorged ticks on his head. 
Uh, not the first time we've seen Zahians, though. That's kind of a fun callback. That's a callback to Star Trek Discovery, and specifically yeah. a race that was introduced in a Short Treks episode and then paid off in season two of Discovery. Yeah, they are hitting it off great. Anytime you can be dating a person and you move to the couch and there's some like not incidental touching, they are like wrapped up there. I think these are, things are going great on this date. Except for I think you're forestalling anything too sexy happening on the date when you're about to start chowing down on some vanilla milkshakes. Yeah, that is a bad <laughs> order, man. <laughs> That's a terrible end of date drink. You do not want that. No, you do yeah. not want the mucusy buildup in your mouth. You don't want the belly full of dairy when uh, when you're going to be doing something physical. No. <laughs> no, and you don't want to follow wine with it either. What the fuck? I've never been halfway through a glass of red wine and gone, you know what would go great with this? Vanilla <laughs> ice cream. <laughs> Yeah. Turns out the physical thing they are going to be doing, though, is not fucking, but fighting, Adam. Yeah. Because uh, into the room beams some uh, some motorcycle bad guys. A knife gets flung. Like, one of the motorcycle bad guys is, like, mid-throw as he is transported into the room. And <laughs> when he releases, a knife goes into the Zahian boyfriend's chest and uh, these bad guys get uh, get this lady, you know, they throw a bag over her head. And they're they're like putting computer chips on her temples and trying to interrogate her. Uh, she says she's from Seattle, just like you, Adam. Yeah, that's right. Her uh, her neon green Oakley M frames appear to be <laughs> like activating something in her. Like, because she's sort of chill, like she's scared, obviously, but as soon as those things go on and the hood goes on top of her head, uh, something wakes up in her and she commences with the ass kicking. She's got an extremely highly developed science, W slash R slash T, ass kicking. Ben, when your Zahian boyfriend is dead, like you see this a lot in movies, right? Like there's a dead person and their eyes are open. And what you do is you like you you pull your hand across their face and then you close their eyelids. But when you've got a Zahian dead, do you have to use two hands and kind of close them from, from the temples? Side. Yeah, like draw them like curtains. Oh man, yeah, that's uh, that's something the Zahians have got to consider in their death rites, I guess. Very sad. RSVP uh, Zahian date. Do you get some tweezers and pull a couple of those ticks out and send them to the Centers for Disease Control and see if they are Lyme disease carriers? I think I burn the couch after this date. Yeah. TBH. You just drag that onto the curb. I know what they were going for with his hair, but it just was so gross looking to me. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? The the thing about Dodge is that she doesn't see the weird hair, the ticks. She yeah. sees the quality of his character. I respect that about her. She's a she's a smart person. She got into the Daystrom Institute. She did. She's a smart. She's attracted to intelligence, Ben. But she's also a badass. And uh, one thing that we know about TNG is that it is a television universe in which no glass table is safe. And <laughs> that is a continuity that is preserved in Star Trek Colin Picard. I was delighted by this. <laughs> Glass tables are back on the menu, boys. <laughs> uh, she she dispatches all of these motorcycle bad guys and uh, is horrified by by it. It's kind of 
she it's like she sneezed and sees the the horror show of snot all of the over the room like it was an autonomic reaction to this home invasion and she's like crouching over her dead boyfriend and is suddenly consumed with a vision of of uh, Jean-Luc Picard yeah she knows what she must do we get our first dodge eyes to theme here <laughs> First and only. The music by Jeff Russo. Probably the most abstract uh, Star Trek opening in Star Trek history, I would say. Yeah, not really something you can hum along to. No. And like Discovery maybe sets the tone for this in that it's kind of a, a series of like schematics and designs. But this opening is is a super different thing, even from that. I like it a lot. And- you know, our our discussion of the theme isn't to say that we dislike the theme either. I think there are, I mean, I think in a lot of modern film scoring, you get characters' themes, and those and those themes repeat throughout a film or a TV series. I think what's going to happen here is is these musical themes are going to be repeated throughout the series in a way that is familiar, and maybe we'll we'll appreciate what's happening here with the show open a little more as time goes on. Yeah. Yeah, we shall see. Star Trek Picard is a logo that appears against a white screen. And that's a, a exciting and very contemporary look for, for what is going on here. At the vineyard, it's Picard in number one. And uh, there are a few allusions to Picard's age in this episode, I think one of the very first ones is that he's walking the grounds with a cane. Yeah. It, it doesn't seem like he needs the cane to walk, but just that it it's a a nice reassurance and he's not above it. It's his yeah. Wilford Brimley from Life Goes On cane. <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, it's just for panache. Is that what you're saying? Like if I started walking around with a cane, it would be, it would come off as an obnoxious affectation. Mm-hmm. But he's old enough that he can pull it off without like it being necessary to his mobility. I had a good friend in high school who walked around with a cane. Uh, out of nowhere, the cane appeared. <laughs> and uh, and what he told us was that he was diagnosed with vertigo. And, I mean, I, I and many other people love this friend very much, uh, still do, uh, but none of us believed it. Wow. Not, not for a second. And... Anytime anyone brought up the cane and the vertigo, he would suffer from a from an attack of the vertigo, which only <laughs> served to reinforce our suspicion. So what I'm trying to... I'm not like calling Picard out on any bullshit for this cane, I, but I'm just saying I'm going to be watching very closely. Listen, as a guy who currently has an EKG thing strapped to his chest... <laughs> neither of us are in good health. No. We shouldn't be throwing stones. I can't, I can't drag somebody that uh, that has made an affirmative choice for their own health. We see a couple of familiar faces on the grounds here. We get uh, Laris and Jaban, who are familiar to us and to anyone who has read the Star Trek Picard prequel comic series. Uh, they yeah. work with and for Picard on the property, and they really dote on him like like a couple of caretakers. They're his Romulan homies. They come from an outlying planet in the Romulan, uh, in the Romulan worlds, where they were 
Tal Shiar agents whose cover was that they were vintners. So they've made <laughs> they've made an easy transition to working as vintners and and like I guess like major domuses of the Picard estate. Yeah, they fit right in. Yeah, they love him and he loves them. And it is a like he does have kind of a Lord of the Manor relationship with them that I found interesting given the post money society they're all living in. Like, I wonder what like ownership rules exist in the future if. If money doesn't exist, does does Picard like own this estate? And if he stopped owning it, how would he divest of it? You know? Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, it could just be that Laris and Jaban are just waiting for him to die <laughs> uh, so that they can inherit yeah. it. But I don't believe that to be the case. Their relationship is so interesting because as great in power and reputation as Picard is, they still throw him shit. This is a really important day for Picard and everyone else uh, because they're prepping for, they're prepping Picard for an interview that, that's going to take place on the property. And what's fun for you and me, I think, is like watching video production be set up in the future. Yeah. It's great. There's there's a lot fun about it. Like they're still using lights. So that's <laughs> that hasn't changed. But like the HMU uh, lady is is doing makeup on this reporter and she's got kind of like a uh, like a techno mirror where she can look through it at the lady, but the lady can see her own reflection. And they're like going through different lipstick colors by just like a like a tap of the stylus. I'm gonna guess the Tellarite's the grip, right? <laughs> the Tellarite has grip vibes, yeah, big time. Uh, we get a uh, trill and a human rounding out the crew too. That's fun. Yeah. Nice looking crew. Picard has agreed to a public interview for the first time ever, I guess, about the Romulan uh, supernova. And this is uh, a, a, another like really interesting idea that this series is kind of introducing to the Star Trek canon, the idea of Picard as a public figure. Like the right. like there there was never press on the on the entrepreneur in in TNG, you know, like the like Picard never had to answer for his actions to anyone other than the Admiralty. I feel like one of the last and few depictions of press in Star Trek was Star Trek Generations with the yeah. launch of the B, right? Right. Don't feel like we we really get it much. Yeah, but the maiden voyage of the Enterprise B did make the case that the press is considered a bit obnoxious by people in Starfleet. So yeah, uh, it, it stands to reason that Picard is uh, has been hesitant to to deal with them. And the reason he has agreed to this interview is that uh, he feels a, a fairly grave injustice was done to the Romulans in, uh, in the wake of this uh, supernova situation. I believe one of the main reasons he agreed to the interview is because he knew that his separation from Starfleet would be off the table. This is something that he discussed with Laris and Jaban before. Like, it's going to be fine. It may it may even even be sort of a cream puff interview about the anniversary of the supernova. But it doesn't take long before uh, Richter, our interviewer, turns fairly hostile and, and she really presses Picard on the choices he made uh, leading up to. The supernova. You can't tell us how you felt, but your initial actions were to call for a massive relocation of Romulans. And what happened right after? 
so yeah, and then, and I think that you and I uh, know about the supernova because of those comic books we read. Um, and I can't imagine I, like this is the introduction of that idea to anybody that didn't read those comic books, but. That's why um, Nero was so pissed at the beginning of the J.J. Abrams uh, Star Trek film it's because yeah. of, of what happened here. I think it's a really neat way to to stitch the beginning of that film and what happened during that timeline that was then immediately pivoted over into what, what's been called the J.J. Abrams timeline, the Kelvin timeline. Right. And it also, I think, is a more adult way of grappling with the idea of a post-scarcity future because post-scarcity is a, an issue of scale, you know? Like, if an individual doesn't want for anything, that's one thing. But, like, what they're talking about is an entire multiple-world star empire needing to be evacuated from where they live and millions of individuals being rescued from the Romulan star going supernova and that being something that actually taxed Starfleet's resources. Like initially Starfleet was there for it. And then, uh, and then there was this attack on Mars perpetrated by synthetic humans. And that, uh, that caused Starfleet to reconsider the commitment of those resources. We see a little bit of the attack during the short treks episode, children of Mars. And also in the dream sequence that opens this episode, it's, hard to comprehend the scale of what happened here because like we're told almost a hundred thousand people die. The facts come out pretty fast during this interview. 10,000 warp capable ferries were built for the relocation project. Like I can't imagine what that looks like. Uh, The atmosphere of Mars is still on fire. And this was decades ago that this attack happened. So Mars has basically been destroyed as far as we know. Yeah. And synthetics have been banned. Mars has been through a lot, too. Like, you you think about uh, the Borg attack, Mars defense being totally dominated by that Borg cube. Of course, of course uh, that was Picard's doing. Picard was the first guy to destroy the Mars defense system. So, I mean, <laughs> he's probably got some mixed feelings about that, right? Yeah, yeah. This is all very triggering for him. And if you want to be a hostile interviewer, if you're Richter, why don't you ask more about his time as Locutus? <laughs> is that off the table as a line of questioning? Yeah, I wonder about that. I mean, like she she is really pushing his buttons, and uh, he he gets quite condescending with her. He uh, you know he has mentioned Dunkirk as being the historical analogy he would like to cite as the uh, as the uh, Romulan space lift. And he accuses her of not even knowing what he's talking about as being kind of ignorant and a stranger to history. He goes and, full Picard palm head on her. Yeah. <laughs> it's and, great. Uh, and it's, I think, I think it's a great scene because like he is outraged and shuts the interview down and, and storms off in a huff. And there's just this like brief little moment where you can see that she got exactly what she wanted. Like, yeah. She took some slings and arrows, but she was ready for it. Like she is a reporter and she wants hot tape and she got hot tape. Yeah. I mean, to her, it went great. But to Picard, the interview did not go well. Enterprise. (laughs) (laughs) That is the inspiration for Picard to drink himself a half a bottle of the Chateau Picard to, to the dome. You can get day drunk anytime you want. 
if you're Picard at Chateau Picard. That's pretty great. Yeah. And he's out there just just kind of like talking to himself, talking to his dog. When Dash shows up, our lady character, uh, number one, runs flat out at Dash. And I would be taking a number two if this dog was running at me. Number one uh, tears into Dodge, takes her to the ground, <laughs> uh, snaps her neck, and then we we hit the credits. Yeah. And that is the end of Picard episode one. Uh, ben, did you like this episode? <laughs> <laughs> Just a vicious dog attack. Yeah. By a breed that Patrick Stewart loves and like and wanted specifically to be a part of the show. Wants to rehabilitate in the public image. <laughs> Very confusing. Yeah. Yeah. Brave. I, yeah. It's not unbrave. This is a great scene because Dodge drops her hood and she's like, I I feel like I know you and I feel like you know me. And not only that, like I feel like you know that you know me. And how do I know that? Yeah, she's super confused. I mean, she's had a really rough uh, couple of days. She's uh, she's been through the death of the boyfriend and this and this flashback. She's got the the giant gash on her forehead, and all all she can see when she closes her eyes is Picard's face. And um, to his credit, you know, he's like quite confused by this reaction and wants to know why she's here and what she wants. But he's also like extremely humane to her and comforting and um and respectful like he's not like buzz off you crazy <laughs> crazy weirdo this is my private house you know this is a great example of showing and not telling because if Dodge approaches Picard and she's like I know you and I think you know me and he's like oh yeah I think I do that's bad but by Picard not throwing her off of the vineyard, that's what's telling us that that he believes he knows her as well. He's got a feeling about her. It's in his actions. Yeah. So the uh, you know they get her fixed up. They uh, they get her a cup of tea. Earl Grey never fails. One of my favorite rhymes. <laughs> uh, uh, and they and they get to talking and um, there's a necklace that is that becomes an important talisman in the episode. Uh, a gift from her father. She kind of she kind of gives him the the broad strokes of uh, of what's happened. But you know it's it's late at night. They're gonna let her like catch some Z's. He's gonna catch some Z's, and they're gonna they're gonna look into this thing in the morning. In another example of show not tell, uh, Daj leaves her necklace on the table. And I think if you're in a new place with some new people, uh, just leaving your jewelry out indicates maximum trust. I think. Yeah, absolutely. And also, you know, potentially that there's something about that necklace that she wants him to see. You know? Either that or the necklace is worthless and she could <laughs> replicate it anywhere. It's uh, it's costume jewelry. I found it in a crackerjack box. The next morning, uh, Picard wakes and uh, and flings open the curtains as he does every morning, it seems. That seems like a really nice and calming way to rise right look out upon yeah. the vineyard when our podcast career really gets big i think uh, I, i'll probably buy myself a vineyard in this vineyard in the south of france and yeah you know have a nice big stately bedroom where i can fling open the the drapes every morning 
we're gonna have to do better than mattresses and and stamps to get that vineyard money buddy (laughs) (laughs) but what picard sees out in the vineyard is data and he's painting so picard goes down to meet him and they're both wearing tng era uniforms and What's happening is that uh, Data is painting a figure without a face. He offers Picard the paintbrush and says, uh, go ahead and uh, finish this bad boy off, buddy. Picard declines. He doesn't know how to paint. He's a flautist. That's his, that's his creative output. Data uh, moves out of the way of the painting, revealing horse playing saxophone. <laughs> <laughs> Picard's like, you've always been a shitty painter. (laughs) Riker pokes his head into the corner of the frame, a robot begging an old man to paint. Laughs and laughs. Uh, Turns out it's just a dream, Ben. Uh, Picard has been desk sleeping uh, on his glass tabletop desk, which you know probably isn't going to be long for this world. Yeah. Uh, The painting in the dream is just like the one hung behind him. Which I was so worried about. I was like, oh, no, is this making the case that, like, things from his dream are being seeded into the real world? Right, right. (laughs) Uh, But it's not. It's just he's having a a dream about a real painting that Data gave him, which is elucidated in the next scene. Um, Dash has disappeared from from Chateau Picard. They don't know where she went. uh, And uh, they don't know how she got out because there's surveillance and she's not on it. But Picard heads to uh, the Starfleet archives in San Francisco. Looks like they've taken over the uh, the space that the Cetacean Institute used to occupy. <laughs> and uh, he's uh, given the lay of the land by a a holographic lady who uh, who calls herself Index. I don't like this scene. Ben, because uh, I, I don't like the idea of hollow docents taking the jobs of our of our elderly. Those are <laughs> those are old people's jobs. Old people should work in museums. I I have a dear friend, uh, one of my college roommates, who was a docent at the Met in New York, and he worked really hard for it. And he was like the only person under sixty five that did it. Wow, I bet he was hazed brutally. Yeah, yeah, they they really fucking hated his guts over there. <laughs> He's the only young fuckable docent at the uh, at the Met. <laughs> look at look at you wearing your pants at a modern height. <laughs> Where's your tweed? The interior of Picard's room is amazing. It is a it is a feast for a Star Trek trivia person's eyes. Everywhere you look, there's there's some artifact from his life. Yeah, we've got Captain's Yacht, we've got Stargazer, we've got Enterprise E models, we've got uh, Worf's Batleth, we've got uh, we got all kinds of little objects. Oh, and the and the Captain Picard Day banner. What we don't have in there is the blood on Picard's hands from the Battle of Wolf Three Five Nine that he perpetrated as Lacutus. I think you'll notice that, right? Yeah, they they didn't preserve all of the implants that they extracted from his body when he was Lacutus. God. What happened to those implants? I don't know. You know, I have... Somebody came to one of our live shows, one of our Greatest Generation live shows, with like a Ziploc bag full of Borg implants and said that, hey, these were on an extra in the background in Star Trek First Contact, and I want you to have them. 
Wow. And so I just have that Ziploc. I, I mean, like, it looks real enough. Like, I can't imagine why somebody would try and fake that. But it's just a Ziploc bag full of things, you know? <laughs> like, there's no provenance, you know? You could never... Pre- prove a chain of custody because i don't remember who it was that gave it to us and there's no note in there oh, that's pretty cool i i want to believe i do i, I do that too that stuff's real it also occurred to me that it seems sad that there's only one captain picard day banner given that he was the captain of the <laughs> ship for like eight or nine years <laughs> yeah i mean he clearly had a favorite class uh, on the, on that ship the other ones uh slow learners clearly yeah, jay J- gordon Gets gets the gold star. Nobody else. Yeah, the only the only student willing to plant radishes in weird dirt. <laughs> uh, so this is the the, the quantum archives, and he uh, he pulls out a a quantum container containing this painting. Uh, one thing that was pointed out on Twitter by our buddy Jonathan Heffler of the Heffler and Co. Font Foundry is that uh, the font on the on the control there is the same font as the Uxbridge Shimoda logo. Sure is. That means we're canon. I think that's the first of many signs that we're being we're being signaled by people that work on this show that you know they're <laughs> winking and nudging that they like our podcast. I think we're being gaslit. I think they're gonna <laughs> they're gonna lead us into a situation where we get canceled. It's the tungsten font, Adam. Sure is. Jonathan Heffler was suggesting that we start a rap beef with the production people from Star Trek Picard. Um, I don't want a beef. I want to get blown out of a fucking out of a hole in the side of the ship into space. Patrick Stewart, go on the View and invite Whoopi Goldberg for season two. Obviously, but somebody should come on the Greatest Discovery and invite Ben and Adam to be blown out into space. One one policy, one position of the show, I think we can say with certainty, and that is The Greatest Discovery is a pro-tungsten podcast. Uh, you, can take, you can take daylight color temperature and shove it. We're a, we're a pro-tungsten show around here. Yeah, we love that color temperature. <laughs> and that font. Go to typography.com to get it for yourself. When you store your paintings in deep storage, you need to keep them... Uh, protected from the elements. Yeah. And what he's got here is a uh, is a device that protects this painting that he unveils, and it's it's a painting that's a lot like the one he saw out in the vineyard. It's it's the companion to the painting that was in his office. It seems like a shame to uh, you know only hang one half of a dick of a diptych up. Right. And the the difference is that this painting you can see the face of the figure in. And the name of the painting is Daughter. Yeah, and the face of the painting is Dosh. <laughs> we get uh, we get some very rare painting eyes to commercial <laughs> at the end of this scene. Yeah. In Paris, we we catch up with Dosh, and uh, she calls up her mom. Um, she is she is very scared. I don't know what's happening, Mom. Dosh, you need to get somewhere safe. She's a little bit glitchy. And the advice she's giving to Dodge is that she's got to go back to Picard. And that's a weird piece of advice to give her because according to Dodge, she never told her mom about Picard. And uh, this this inspires Dodge to search for him using data-like finger speed. 
uh, on her device in order to find him. And so she locates him at the archives, which she does immediately because the very next scene is outside those archives uh, where Daj surprises him. Yeah. And uh, at this point, he has kind of he has kind of come to the belief that she is lol 2.0. She is a a second attempt by Data to have a daughter. And he doesn't say this explicitly to her, but we can kind of pick it up in the subtext of what he's saying. And she's young enough that she only knows of androids as being a bad thing that is responsible for the attack on Mars. So it's not exactly happy news for her to be getting. This conversation is cut short pretty quickly. Uh, She just kind of suddenly uh, feels with a great amount of confidence that their cover is blown and that they need to get the hell out of there. Yeah. They found us. Move now. And she is running with Picard up through like a like some stair some staircase inside a building, and uh, I really like this moment because he is an old man and he's he's not action heroing around. He's like exhausted from going up a couple of flights of stairs. He's frazzled by it. Um, he doesn't have his cane. Yeah, he's not repelling from the warp core on a on a board cable in this scene. This is not JL pipes we're dealing no. with here. It's a it's a different era of Picard entirely, and he's got uh, some saggy pipes, doesn't he? Yeah, those, those pipe pipes are droopy. Um, <laughs> but she gets in a great big, uh, great big Star Trek fight with uh, with these same motorcycle bad guys from before, and uh, this is the this is the new Star Trek Discovery era of Star Trek fight. Nobody is uh, interlacing their fingers and chopping at the lower back of their adversary. She is like knifing people. She is flipping around them and dumping them down a staircase. She is, uh, you know, like running serpentine to avoid phaser fire and, and jumping 25 feet in the air. It's uh, it's very intense and kinetic and, uh, and she kicks a shitload of ass. They were just in a plaza packed with people and now they are on the roof of what I know to be a parking garage because what use would a parking garage serve in the 24th century? That's why no one's there, I think. They're basically alone. That's why, uh, yeah, like uh, all of the resources being spent today on building parking garages are just going to seem to have been wasted in a couple decades, you know? We're not going to need this crap. The climax of this scene involves one of the injured bad guys, and he's got pointy ears. We're going to assume they're Romulans. He bites through a tooth like a Nazi biting through a cyanide tooth, except this tooth is filled with acid, and he spits it all over both Dodge and the uh, and the disruptor on the ground near her. An acid tooth guy dies, and the disruptor blows up, and that kills Dodge, and it blows Picard way back out of the scene. They totally jerk-cabled a stuntman and pulled him like 30 feet yeah it's it's a very intense moment and very sad because it kind of like it it really felt like they're introducing this dodge character as like a character on the show and then we watch yeah. her face get burned off and then when we watch her body get engulfed in an explosion and you know like we've had enough time with her that this really had some impact for me 
I think new Star Trek doesn't shy away from showing uh, pain and suffering. I think we get this a lot in Star Trek Discovery with Michael Burnham. Like, we sort of made it into a joke that Sonequa Martin-Green screams a lot in Star Trek Discovery, in pain specifically. And this is a moment where Dodge's death feels like it's full of suffering. Like, she goes out ugly and bad and then explodes and... It's it's tough to watch, especially when you proceed from the expectation that that she's a character that's going to be around forever. Yeah, like her character's in the posters. She was right. at the premiere. Like this came as a surprise. And I I love like the Star Trek future reality that you could be in an explosion in San Francisco and then wake up on your couch in Labar, France, uh, with your Romulan caretakers looking over you. Yeah, I mean, Tao Shiar includes medical training, right? Like, they're clearly medical professionals, and that's why he's convalescing on his own couch instead of at Starfleet Medical or something. Yeah, and uh, he comes out of his of his days asking about Dash and uh, and explaining to them that she did, and they're like, "What do we, What do you mean? Like, nobody said anything about another person being there. We just know that you were involved in some kind of mysterious explosion." It sort of checks out, right? Picard was so far away from the fighting. Like, he's he's at the bottom of the stairwell while Dodge was at the top that that if all of these people were cloaked from the security feed, it, w- it may just look like Picard looking up the stairway like a doddering old person. She could have had a cloaking device, and that's why we didn't see her on proper feeds. Yeah, maybe it activated automatically. Picard is devastated because he feels like he let Dodge down and it's all his fault that she's dead. Like you can sort of hear the the Notre Dame fight song play. Like he's sort of like working himself up off of the couch. He's he's regretting all the decisions he made in retirement. He's going to get to work. Yeah, he has been idle for far too long, resigning from Starfleet because Starfleet wasn't Starfleet anymore thing put him in this position where he decided to be wine guy and that doesn't work for him anymore. He's going to, he's going to look into this. And so, uh, first stop is Daystrom Institute where he meets Dr. Agnes Girardi, uh, played by Alison Pill. He is very curious about this idea of an Android that is made out of flesh and blood. Okay. A meat type android. They are completely meat. Is it possible? And uh, this is one of the great moments of the episode. She just fucking laughs in his face. <laughs> you can tell right away that Agnes Girardi is going to be the fun eccentric scientist that that we often get in television. But but she's great. She's so great. You like her immediately. It's a weird enough request that he should probably just be like escorted from the building but he's still got enough enough dignity from his reputation as Admiral Picard that she's gonna give him enough space to hear him out and uh, and she she's giving him a little tour of the Daystrom Institute which uh, was very exciting you know like I don't I don't know that we've gotten to spend much time at the Daystrom Institute despite all of the times we've heard about it over the course of Star Trek history. And uh, and the part she works in is kind of is kind of powered down. It's the uh, synthetic research division or whatever, like a defunded tech startup. It's just empty desks and air on chairs, as far as the eye can see. 
Yeah. Some dusty ping pong tables and foosball yeah. tables. One of those, uh, one of those vending machines with like external hard drives off in the corner. Pretty sad place. This scene is crucial to this episode. This is the scene of most exposition, I think, because what Gerardi tells Picard is that she's got B four in a shelf, and I think the phrase you're looking for, Adam, is B four in a drawer. Right. <laughs> She's got B4 in a drawer, and I think this is unfortunate. I think if you're going to shut yourself down and be taken apart, you don't want resting derp face <laughs> uh, before being put away. And B4 just looks bad. Like, uh, no one's asking for a big goofy smile, but like, just how about a Mona Lisa smile, B4, before getting put away? Well, one thing that I did not remember about B4... Uh, before last night, before rewatching Star Trek Nemesis, is that the way Brent Spiner played before was almost like he was drunk. Yeah, like before is is not a an elegant or coordinated character. He's a little bit dazed and confused, and so the derp face really read as before not data to me. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Some of the exposition we get here are that sentient synthetics appear human inside and out. Right. How they pull that off. And that this is the lab that like led all synthetic research. Like the ones that attacked Mars were developed here. Yeah, that's a pretty bad day at the office when you uh, go to the break room, turn on the TV and see the things that you make. Yeah. Killing lots of people. That's that's what it's like to work at Raytheon, right? Right. Right. Yeah, you're like, well, you know, like uh, I make $150,000 a year, which is great. But also <laughs> the, yeah. the stuff I work on does what? Ben, you must have been thrilled to hear the name of Bruce Maddox in this scene. I was thrilled because I kind of predicted it when we were reviewing Children of Mars, the, the short treks we reviewed recently. Yeah, I was pretty psyched for you. Good call. Um, yeah, so Bruce Maddox is sort of set up as the as as the big mystery, right? Like, there's lots of little mysteries that are set up and solved within this episode, but the idea that Bruce Maddox is out there somewhere and potentially making breakthroughs in the Nunyan Soong research that he's always pursued is really interesting because, like, in over the course of TNG, like the idea of making more datas was a Commander Maddox idea and it was always discussed as a this is probably not possible because nobody can redevelop the science that Dr. Soong used to make data and that is reinforced in this scene quite well like the idea is that like they without using something from data as reference a like a positronic neuron as a reference will not be able to do anything close to what Dr. Soong did with data. Yeah, and Bruce Maddox took the technology and left because once they were treaty banned from continuing to the work there, he's like, fuck this. Like, I'm not getting any more grant money. I'm going to go off world and go continue my work. And that seems to be the situation for Bruce Maddox. The other big revelation is the necklace that uh, Dodge left on the table at Chateau Picard. When Picard presents it to Dr. Gerardi, she uh, immediately recognizes it as the process by which 
uh, an Android of this type would be made because it would be made as a part of a pair. Gerardi's like, yeah, Bruce used to give all the girls who worked at the office this necklace. I, I thought I was special. <laughs> Let me tell you something, Picard. Do not get into any workplace relationships. That would be bad. Picard's like, I know. I resisted Beverly for years. There was that one lady that played the piano quite well. You think Vash is still alive? Vash is friends with Q. It's very possible that she's not only alive, but you know, the same age as when we left her. Yeah, so the revelation at the end of the scene is that Dodge is a twin. And so that gives the episode a feeling of hope here at this moment. Like yeah. maybe we will maybe we will see her again. And it doesn't take long to because we cut from the scene to space and the subtitle is Romulan Reclamation Site. We see a couple ships pull in and we meet a couple of new characters. We get the twin, and this is Dr. Soji Asha who looks exactly like Dodge. She's even wearing the necklace. And we get a Romulan. She looks so much like Dodge that she's actually played by the same actor. I think that's just efficient. We talk about this all the time. (laughs) Star Trek is the science fiction program that that saves money whenever it can. What if you were were identical twin actresses and you were cast in a part where one of the characters is killed off immediately and the other gets like a multiple season run? Yeah. I mean, that happened in Full House, right? Oh, yeah. I guess it did. What's happening here is they're meeting cute. Narek has some seduction techniques happening here. Yeah. And uh, and they are effective because uh, Soji asks him out. I sort of wonder if this English accent Romulan is going to turn out to be a bad guy, Adam. I don't know. I mean, where they are looks sketchy, too. Yeah, they are uh, they're chilling in a Borg cube with a bunch of uh with a bunch of dino damage TM. And uh and that is the big reveal at the end of the episode. Star Trek loves pulling out of Borg cubes. Yeah. And uh just like in First Contact, we get a great big long pull out here. Yeah. This is uh this is what we call the Jonathan Frakes technique. You pull out <laughs> yeah. to reveal. Yeah, and that is the end of episode one of Star Trek Picard. Did you like it, Ben? I did. Uh, I liked it a lot. And I watched this a few times by itself after my first exposure to it being the premiere where we watched it just as a continuous part of a three-episode arc. So it's it's a little, obviously, a little bit hard for me to separate it from what I know is coming, but I really like it. And, and you know, I think that this is being set up as kind of a, like a mystery novel set in the Star Trek universe. And uh, we talk a lot on our shows about Star Trek is a place and a mystery novel is a type of genre fiction that I really enjoy and Star Trek is a place that I enjoy seeing stories told so if that is something that holds over the course of an entire series I am here for it man I know that it is not like there was there was a lot of me that thought in the lead up to this premiere that Star Trek Picard was going to be a return to the monster of the week episodic nature of TNG and that's very much not what this is. My expectations to that end have been completely dashed. 
but this is a a thing that I am excited to experience. Like it's so interesting how much of the world they treat as real. Like they're taking elements of a JJ Abrams film and of a TNG movie and of several episodes of TNG. Like just the just the plot line about data being into painting. Like it just it uses a thing that is true of his character and takes it as a given and says, what could we do with a story about a, a painting that Data did? You know, I love the fact that it's like a, a very new and contemporary feeling television show that, you know, respects the old show and, uh, and builds on it in in this interesting way. And I love, I love the performances. I love Patrick Stewart's performance in particular. It's really exciting to, see this character do something new and different. Yeah. How about you? That's well put. I agree with with all of it. It's a real treat to see modern Star Trek budget being thrown at characters and places that we already know and love. Like I think one of the things that I like about Star Trek Discovery is how much it feels like a movie and how much production value that show has and what a treat it is to get a Picard character in a show that is given that much production value. I, I think it's great. Um, I will say that I like how different this feels, this looks and feels from Star Trek Discovery as well. This is a really warm color palette. Did you notice that? Yeah, like absolutely. Star Trek Discovery is super cold and those cold color temperatures, you know, the blues and the blacks, You what you get here are a lot of golds and reds. And I really like that a lot. It made it it made it seem like a more living place, and I suppose that's not a surprise because Discovery's set on a ship, and we're and we're on Earth for a lot of our time in this episode. But I really like that. I think Kennelly Culpepper did a great job out of the gates with this episode. I think it's a great start for the series. It's hard it's hard to watch this first episode and not talk about the ones that come after. But I think for an episode that is that is made to set up what comes after it does not feel like just exposition it feels like it's it's a fairly complete beginning to a story here i think uh, i want to call attention to two things before moving on i'm really loving laris and jaban and yeah there's something about them and the actors who play them and this is not like me alluding to surprises that happen in episode 2 and 3 this is not that i think they're great I can't quite put my finger on why they're so great, but their relationship to each other and to Picard feels really lived in and special. Yeah, they feel like they've been characters for 10 seasons of television. I don't know how they got, I don't know how they achieved that. It's a subtlety and a quality that I think is really good. And I think I think lesser shows aren't able to articulate that feeling as well as this one does. I think you know, for introducing new characters to us, but are also old friends to each other. Uh, I think that's, I think that's a degree of difficulty that's pretty high. And I think it gives me a lot of hope for how we're going to meet characters in the episodes ahead. I'm glad we're here, Ben. We're finally talking about Star Trek Picard. It's, it feels great. We stand astride history. Well, uh, for our new viewers, one of the ways that we uh, support the production of this show is through the reading of Priority One messages. Uh, What do we see what we have in the inbox? Let's do it. 
Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Ben, our first priority one message is from Croesus. The message is for Jess Cayley, Aeromat, Sam, and Dugers. The message goes like this. Shout out to all the jubs in all the pubs. Wow. Let us celebrate a new start to all our beloved franchises spinning up the new shows we've wanted for years. Live long and shoot first. <laughs> I would say yub yub to all the jubs in all the pubs. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, a, a hearty yub yub to, uh, <laughs> to you and yours. Crocious, Jess Cayley, Aromat, Sam, and Dukers. Way to go, getting a P1 for the first episode of Picard. Good job by you. Nicely done. Uh, our second priority one is from Don't Worry About It, and it's to Ben and Adam. Mm. Let's, see what, uh, let's see what our friend Don't Worry About It has to say. Is there slash was there slash could there be or have been a better two-person Dustbuster Club to, quote, rescue... Picard from the Borgs, a la, and then parenthetically, just for you, Ben, best of both worlds than Data and Worf. No restrictions in timeline, i.e. could be Cisco, high risk slash reward, and Pike era Spock, mirror universe in play as well, because those people are no joke. So this is in best of both worlds when it's Data and, and Worf sent on that behind enemy lines mission where they fly the shuttlecraft through all the chaff inside the field of the Borg's Cube and and rescue Picard. Is there a better two-person Dustbuster Club that you could put together? Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad that this P1 writer uh, didn't leave their name because it's almost totally incoherent. <laughs> I'm glad you were able to translate, Ben. Two-person Dustbuster clubs to rescue Picard. Wow. I mean, yeah, it's sort of an interesting choice that, that Worf and Data were that originally. Worf famously being not great at security or at doors, though the Borg Cube is a famously door-free workspace. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. I got a hot take here. Who do you got? It's, this is timeline unrestricted, right? Sure is. Okay. Yar and Troy. Yar for the ass-kicking nature of her being, and Troy for being able to anticipate when a mind is nearby. Like, they could could potentially sneak around totally undetected, and, and, you know, both being ladies, they might be able to sneak through, you know, tight spaces that that a wharf would not be able to. Oh, good call. Uh, that, that Borg ship, not exactly an OSHA, uh, compliant workplace either. Hmm. So, so I, I, I kind of feel like Yar and Troy could have been just as good, if not better. Like they're, they're, it is touch and go when Data do that, you know? But, uh, but I feel like Yar and Troy might be capable of slipping in entirely undetected. I know Don't Worry About It isn't asking this question thinking there is a right answer, but Ben, I know I know the right answer to this. The answer is in <laughs> really? the question. It, when, the, when the question says uh, no restrictions on timeline or series, uh, to me the answer is easy. It's seven of nine. Wow. Who knows the inside of a Borg cube better than her? You get her in there, I don't even think you need another Dustbuster on her team. Wow. She goes in there, she does the job solo. 
And then, uh, and then she comes to Picard's rescue. That's going to be my choice. Seven of nine. What are you doing here, Picard? Only. <laughs> Destroying the Federation fleet? <laughs> what are you doing here, Picard? Destroying Mars defense? <laughs> uh, well, great question. Don't worry about it. And uh, if you'd like to ask us a question or, uh, or shout out some friends like Croesus did, uh, head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. It's 100 bucks for a personal message or 200 bucks for a commercial message. And uh, these are great ways to support the production of The Greatest Discovery. I spent a lot of last week sick in bed. And one thing I was so happy I had when I needed something to eat but didn't really have the energy to cook myself something was Factor Meals. Got a couple of these in the fridge at all times, and they are delicious, fresh, never frozen, chef-crafted meals, and they're ready to go in just about two minutes. And this is convenience food that is actually tasty and full of real ingredients and not hyper-processed crap. And they got you covered all throughout the day. They got pancakes, smoothies, grab-and-go bites, and uh, you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause and reschedule deliveries at any time. So head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use code trek50 to get 50% off. That's code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. What do you think of when you think of male grooming? Maybe it's a sharp haircut and a little bit of product, or a bit of the old beard wax twisted into the ends of a mustache. Maybe it's a shower, a shave, a little spritz of fragrance. Me? I think of shaving my nuts. And not just my nuts, all around those nuts. I'm talking all around those nuts. And this form of male grooming is hard to do when your junk looks like a log of Play-Doh rolled through a dustpan in a barber shop. It's wrinkly, it's wriggly, nothing stays in place, and it's the one area where you don't want to have an accident. That's why I'm glad we're sponsored by the spring cleaning champions at Manscaped. They sent me their brand new Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. It's their fifth generation trimmer, featuring two interchangeable next gen skin safe blade heads, a standard one for taking a little bit off the top, and a new foil blade to go smooth, wherever your heart desires. They also sent me an extra large Manscaped t-shirt, which I will never wear, but it was nice of them to do. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. Nothing like a little spring cleaning in your pants. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. (laughs) Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! 
Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you discover yourself an Edward Larkin? You know, it's it's low-hanging fruit, but the Allison Pill character, Dr. Girardi, gets my Edward Larkin for this episode for that laugh in the face of uh, Admiral retired Picard when uh, when he suggests the premise of the television show to her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like it's, it's a really funny moment within the logic of the show, but then if you take one step out and it's like, wow, she's, really, she's literally laughing at his face for what the show is about. <laughs> I think that's so funny. Look at you, you're, you're on some kind of Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, I think, that, I think that that is how you make a TV show in, in the modern era that is set in a world like this, that's set in such a lived-in world like this. Yeah. Like, you have to be able to have a little bit of fun with it. And and I think that's one of Star Trek's strengths. Like, like Star Trek has always been a little bit silly and goofy dating back to original series. And it's at its best when it, when it keeps just the tip of its tongue in its cheek. So I mean, that's the very premise of this show. Yeah. Uh, did you have an Edward Larkin, Adam? We are both going to put Agnes Gerardi out to an early lead in the Edward Larkin metrics, Ben, because she is going to be mine as well. Crazy, right? She's irresistible. Like like what she's bringing to her character, uh, I love it. She's super fun. I'm excited to know more about her as the series goes on. I've been a big Allison Pill fan for a long time, so... I was delighted to hear she was cast on the show, and I really like her character. Yeah, we also just like totally fell headed over heels for Issa Briones and and Allison Pill at the premiere party because they were obviously like great friends and just having a ton of fun with each other. Looking across the room at them being pals with each other was like very delightful and fun. Yeah, you can work on a project and remain friends, Ben. Huh. That's what I learned. Okay, well. Some people can, I guess. <laughs> what do we have coming up on the next episode of Star Trek Picard, Ben? Uh, the next episode will be uh, season one, episode two. and uh, I was unable to find a promo. The, the episode title is called Maps and Legends, though. The lack of a promo uh, gives me great pause. I, I hesitate to reveal anything that I know about it. And also... I don't I don't think that I can remember clearly enough what happened in episode 2 versus episode 3. Yeah. But um but yeah, we're going to uh we're going to be looking into this uh great big mystery and uh I'm excited to do it. You know, I think that um one thing that is very notable about this first episode is that there is no warping around from place to place in it. 
And that's a really different feeling for a Star Trek show. And I think that that's got to feel semi-crazy from a making the show standpoint. Like, like, are people going to turn on us for this? That it's just about an old guy like walking around San Francisco and France asking people what's going on. But uh, I do know that there there will be some space stuff uh, going forward. So don't worry if you're if you're at home listening. Yeah, don't worry is a good message to a lot of people. I think who may be overly critical of this series coming out of the gate. Yeah, you know I think that. Uh, this is inevitably going to rub people the wrong way too. Like there are, there are people that are coming into this looking for something to hate and other people that are coming into this looking for something that it isn't. And, you know, those people aren't going to be, aren't going to be happy with this first episode. And that's, uh, obviously, uh, you know, like my subjective experience of this was mine. And, uh, if it's not your bag, like that's fine. Um, and I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry for that. You know, like I, I would be really bummed if I had watched this and it really didn't work for me. You know, like it's something that I've been excited for for a long time, and I can, I can really understand, uh, what what a bummer that would be if that was my experience. And all I can say to somebody that's going through that is, uh, hey, there's seven entire seasons of TNG, and they're streaming. On all platforms. Look at you trying to nurse the haters through this. You've got a lot more uh, kindness than I than I have. <laughs> so, so good for you. Yeah, go enjoy, go enjoy that old show. It's great. Uh, if you like what we've done here, uh, please subscribe to the show. Go along with us on this uh, ten episode journey. I think it's going to be great. I'm looking forward to the rest of season one and to talking about it with you, Ben. And uh, from here, I think we'll hand it over to our producer, Rob Schulte. Take it away, Robs. The Greatest Discovery is a Maximum Fun podcast hosted by Benjamin Harrison and Adam Pranica. It's produced by me, Rob Schulte. Our theme music is by friend of DeSoto and YouTube sensation Adam Ragusea. The Greatest Discovery is made possible by the support of our listeners like you. Make sure the show continues by going to MaximumFun.org donate. If you'd like to discuss the show online, please use the hashtag Greatest Discovery. You can find Ben on Twitter at BenjaminAHR, Adam is at CutForTime, and I'm at Rob K. Schulte. Thanks, we'll see you on the next episode of The Greatest Discovery. Org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.